KPBS On Demand is supported by Under the Sun Foundation, presenting the Candlewood Arts Festival in Borrego Springs, featuring temporary public art projects that engage community and place. March 23rd. More at candlewoodartsfestival.org. Welcome back to another edition of the KPBS Cinema Junkie Podcast. I'm Beth Accomando, and today I am here at the San Diego International Fringe Festival to highlight one of the shows I've seen, which is Josephine, all about Josephine Baker. So I have with me the performer and creator and producer, and they do everything for this show. And I have Tamisha Harris, who does a one-woman show as Josephine Baker, and Michael Marinaccio, who does just about everything else. So the first thing I wanted to ask is, what got you guys interested in doing a show on Josephine Baker? Um, I think I have been interested in Josephine Baker since I was 17. And when we got together, I don't know, maybe six months ago, we just started talking about it. Christian Kelty, actually kind of a friend of ours in Orlando, came up with this kind of idea. We're like, oh yeah, yeah, let's, let's kind of get that in. But she's fascinating. And we had Todd Kimbrough come in and Jeff Forte come in and this little creator souffle happened. And, uh, you know, the next thing we have is, is the show. Once we started researching Josephine Baker, once we started really digging into the history and uh, watching video clips of her life and documentary footage, and it, it just, we became obsessed with it. I think both of us could not stop we're still dramaturging <laughs> to this day. We're still finding new gems. You know, this, this, this show uh, here in San Diego is still part of a development process for us, so we're still making changes. The ending has been different each of the three nights each, that each we've night. done it. Yep. So we're, we're still kind of finding things, but, and, and we're still digging into uh, her life. There's so much amazing, amazing information out there about her that... Uh, it's just it, she's lived the she lived the life of a hundred people. Wow, sure enough, that's a, totally. She was everywhere. She was like, meeting people and schmingling and moozing and blah, 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 with all kinds of folks constantly. It wasn't a joke. She got to live this life and experience as many different things as a person can. <laughs> so, for people who may not be familiar with Josephine Baker, give me a little a little background on her, a little brief bio to remind people who she was. Uh, A woman that was born in St. Louis named Frida Josephine McDonald. Um, She was born in St. Louis 1906. 1906. Left St. Louis doing all the little minstrel shows that we had and finally got her start in um, a lot of you negro over in Paris after being in New York, for, you know, New York for a little while. And then she did the famous banana dance in France. Um, so that's an iconic image for folks to remember. Then she went on to come back and forth to the States performing, but all the while becoming a huge star in Europe. She couldn't do that much over here in the States. The States was still very segregated at that time and wasn't really feeling her. Josephine Baker really was the first African-American international superstar. She had to go to France to do that because she wasn't accepted here in in the United States, but she was known all across the world. She traveled everywhere. She uh, was best friends with uh, Princess Grace of Monaco, Grace Kelly. Uh, She had affairs with Hemingway and Picasso and Frida Kahlo, and she was a spy for the French resistance. She did everything. It seemed the whole world was falling apart. A world war, a vicious one. One built on hatred and intolerance. But I had myself a new gig, a spy. I suppose the French resistance recruited me because I was a celebrity, because I traveled so much. They said, a celebrity would not get checked at the checkpoint. So, 
they would stuff these messages in my undergarments and send me right on my way, right on the borders. I was like, are you sure? And they said, yes, yes, we. And it worked. It worked. Imagine, the only person they don't strip search is the exhibitionist. <laughs> Before the end of her life, she came back and was finally accepted in the United States and uh, had a comeback tour in the early 70s. And, at, in her, and it was her late 60s at the time. And then eventually uh, she, she passed away in 1975 in Paris after doing her 50-year anniversary performance. It was a, a show that was financed by Princess Grace and Sophia Loren and a few other really incredibly influential people. Mick Jagger was there. They gave her a 15-minute standing ovation. And uh, at the end of it, she said... Now I can die. And four days later, she, they found her in her Paris hotel room surrounded by great reviews of her performance. Um, and she did peacefully in her sleep. And for me, I, the, the image I always had of her is with the feather fans and this just stunning looking woman. Yeah. She made a few films. So we have these moving images of her. What Can people find these movies of her? Can you find, is it easy to find the films of her and stuff like that to see what she was like? Tam Tam, Zuzu, uh, there's a bunch of uh, films. Actually, I think she only really had three major yeah. films in her life, but you can get all of them online. You can find them and watch them um, in their entirety. There's a box set somewhere. <laughs> you know, Amazon will always <laughs> but won't let you down. The most amazing thing about her films is it's the 1930s and she she was the leading character in these films and starring opposite white male romantic leads, which is completely unheard of in the United States, uh, but France was a, a different world. And they tried it. They still kind of put a barrier on it where she didn't end up with the fella, but you knew what it was. You, once watching the movie, you kind of know how she feels. You know that she's in love with him, and in one film, I think that's Zuzu? Zuzu. Zuzu. She, she loves him, but she can't be with him, and he ends up with somebody else. Princess Tam Tam, she decides that she doesn't want this particular life that this fella's trying to set up for her, so she goes back to the village. You know, they don't give her the full payback, payout, but she's still the star of the movie. She's the leading role of the movie, and it's, it's great. There's one documentary that we've seen called Chasing a Rainbow, I think, and that has actual footage of her in the opera that she did actual sweet dance footage of her and the fellas dancing behind her little sailor outfit and you're like seriously that's it that's amazing it's <laughs> it's a great little two-minute piece of, of uh, material so did you look at a lot of this footage to base your performance on or did you want to remove yourself a little bit from the real person yes and no the first thing that I saw when I was 17 was the HBO special like the HBO, you know, movie. And that Lynn was Whitfield, right? Lynn Whitfield, and she comes out, and she's like this, and she's doing it. And after we went back, after doing some of this research and going back and watching the movie, and I was all, oh, my gosh. <laughs> they took a lot of liberties here. They left a lot of things out and did what they wanted to do. And it was kind of hard for me to get that out of my head. In 1925, she dared to dance so provocative, it became a legend in one night. In 1944, she insisted men sit together as brothers. In 1975, she turned a comeback into the triumph of a lifetime. And now, HBO tells the complete story of her extraordinary life. Josephine Baker. The legend has come home to the only place it could. That was just on me, you know? I remember that from years ago. And a lot of the things we tried to do, it's hard. I'm not a soprano. <laughs> <laughs> so that was one of the most interesting things on how do I make her voice work through my voice? How to get that across instead of just being me and my husky self. That was an interesting challenge. Everything else, I love being a showgirl. I, it's <laughs> yeah, I, I think the dancing came really natural and, and Tamisha picked up the her her dancing abilities dance elements uh, just the stylistically everything that she does uh, really well um, the vocals we really at first we tried to cater it to Josephine Baker's voice but then we realized um, we're gonna need to focus on Tamisha's voice and just getting the essence of it um, and then the other thing that we focused on was really getting her essence 
as a person, as a human being, uh, getting to know her as well as we mm -hmm. could so that uh, she could portray her and uh, really start, she's really starting to become Josephine out there on stage and it's pretty exciting to watch. <laughs> it felt good Sunday, really, to, for <laughs> it to come together. I was like, oh, there she is. Hello, Josephine. <laughs> it was awesome. Well, and you seem to capture, because one thing she had that made her unique was this humor also. Not only this elegance and this beauty, but there was also this kind of really That's great humor. <laughs> yeah. I get her quirkiness. I, I understand her, her, her showmanship and her, how she can disarm people in such a way that's, that makes her like, oh, gosh, she's such a sweet lady. And she just gives that. And I, I, I don't know. I saw it. I understood it. I understand it. And I, try to, I do my best to just feel it out with the people and disarm them in a such a way with a smile. Or a, I'm terrible at crossing my eyes. Oh, <laughs> oh it's so embarrassing. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's endearing. <laughs> So talk about the format of your show. It's a one-woman show, but you mix music along with scenes from her life, sort of, where she's talking about her life. So how did you decide on how you were going to put this together? Yeah, we, um, I, I knew that I wanted to showcase songs, dance, and theater. I wanted to have a play that encapsulated all of it. Um, and so we kind of came up with the burlesque cabaret dream play concept early on. Uh, when we brought on our writer, uh, I was working very closely with him as far as structure and Tamisha as far as what music we were going to be using and pulling. And then it was, so we, we ended up with a lot of pieces. And then it was, for me, it felt a lot like putting the pieces together in, an, in a puzzle to, to create this um, beautiful arc of it uh, and, and a story that was accessible uh, and historically accurate and also had a little bit of um, an ethereal quality, that dream play element to it. So um, we, we had no idea whether it would work and we got <laughs> here and did it and we think it's, it's, it's really working. So uh, yeah, we're excited about it. Yeah. Ditto. <laughs> <laughs> what he said. So in terms of writing it, were you drawing a lot on actual things? I mean, was a lot of her voice really speaking through this, or was a lot of it, uh, you know, written for the play? Uh, sure. There's a lot of direct quotes from Josephine Baker in there. Um, her uh, speech at the uh, 1963 March on Washington. Uh, we do not do the whole speech, uh, but all of every line of that is directly from Josephine Baker's mouth. There's quotes scattered throughout it, things that she says regularly um, throughout her life uh, that, that we use in the play. Um, so yeah, a lot, of, a lot of her own voice. The newspaper clippings, you know, tidbits. Uh, radio, announce, radio announcements. Radio announcements. Those, those are, are all actual, from, from historical historically accurate. accurate. Yep. Josephine Baker returns to America to star in the Zigfield Follies. She sure was a sensation in France, but we'll see how New York audiences react to this prodigal Negro ingenue. So why did you feel it was important to do something on Josephine Baker and kind of remind people who she was? Her story kind of stands for a lot of people. It's what the things that she kind of went through because of her skin colors in America and over there was just um, a transformative kind of situation. That's a, that's a hard question for me, yeah. Mike, because well, I'm really attached to it. Some of the things that she went through, I've gone through in my career, and some of the, those instances, it's like we have to kind of open these color walls, you know, lift the color blind up and, and start opening up and seeing all kinds of people in a different light. Um, yeah, I think Josephine Baker in particular, A, not a lot of people know Ooh, much, much about her. They may know a little bit about her, but they don't really know who she is. So I, I thought it was a great opportunity to... Uh, kind of help share that with with a with an audience and and for people to come and learn something uh, at the show and then beyond that I think she had a very unique situation being black in America being a child of poverty in oppressive uh, St. Louis even when she went to New York and performed in Shuffle Along it was still segregated and uh, still a lot of discrimination legally discriminated against in the United States and she going to France and being embraced and then became, being able to become a superstar 
and then come back had this perspective on civil rights that I think America needed, that black Americans needed, um, but that uh, the whole world really needed. Uh, and uh, she did it before, she was, she was famous before Billie Holiday or Ella Fitzgerald or uh, Nina Simone or any the, the, Tina Beyonce, all these all these artists, all these amazing yeah, black artists, they, they they had the opportunity a lot uh, due to her. True, very much so. And she's someone who seems so ahead of her time in so many ways for women for. African-Americans on so many levels. <laughs> yeah, she broke boundaries in terms of burlesque performance, in terms of her uh, gender identity and, and cross-dressing um, her, her actual sexuality. She was an exhibitionist. She was well-known to have many lovers and really be very open about it. She's a um, one she was, of, she, was a she was a pilot in the in French the, uh, Air Force. French, yeah. Like, what? <laughs> yeah. You did that too? Okay. She adopted 12 <laughs> kids from four different continents. Uh, you know, I mean, she just, the, the things that she achieved in her life are almost impossible to believe and, and yet all, and all completely happened. true. And all completely true. Like, I, she wanted to experience these things and I want to do this today. And that's what she did. Like okay. Yeah, she she famously didn't really say no to any opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's interesting about her is she's such an amazing woman, but I don't see her held up as much as you know this kind of model. Like, hey, this is a a great liberated female, and I'm wondering if it's because of kind of like the burlesque and the striptease elements that people are more hesitant to kind of say like, oh, let's teach about Josephine Baker in school. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> Maybe some parents won't like that because she's really amazing. I mean, there's no reason why she can't be a role model except for the fact that we're such prudes here in America. Yeah, we're, we're sexually repressed, puritanical uh, country still. You look at, I mean, France, the, the reason why she was so successful there was because she, well, they, they embrace that. They are very uh, open with uh, sexuality and... And, and, and the beauty in the body and um, she... <laughs> They made her cover it up here, and, you know, Americans don't want to talk about some things. And she's just one of those that they want to, to want to talk about. Yeah, we still have a hard time talking about uh, homosexuality and dealing with uh, those issues. I Finally, I think, you know, we're at a point in our history where there is a, a, a great liberation and the civil rights movement for LGBT people is, is pushing past. But, I mean, she was at the forefront of both of those, of all of that, too. Yeah. 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 Unfortunately, history has shown us that brotherhood must be learned when it should be natural. Josephine Baker's American toy is a smashing success, but it's her speeches at civil rights rallies that really have the people talking. Surely the day will come when color means nothing more than skin tone, when religion is seen uniquely as a way to express one's soul. When birthplaces have the weight of a throw of the dice, and all men are born free. Josephine Baker is the best thing to happen to America in 20 years. Talk a little bit about the songs that you decided to include, and which ones you chose, and why you chose some of these. We wanted to definitely mix in some of her iconic songs in French, and we really kind of wanted to... to to do some French, some English. Hold me close and hold me fast. This magic spell you've cast. This is Le'Veon Rose. When you kiss me, heaven sighs. And though I close my eyes, I see Le'Veon Rose. We wanted to pick some iconic songs. The, the beauty of, of doing a, a play about Josephine Baker musically is that she didn't have very many songs that were just hers. Mostly she sang other people's songs. She sang, you know, Irving Berlin or Bob Dylan. She, she sang it all. And so the songbook basically that was open to us was everything from 1920 to 1970. You know, and, uh, and that was that was kind of a, an amazing thing, also daunting, but it gave us an opportunity to pick songs that really fit in the moment within the play, 
um, and things that, uh, you know, when we wanted to change the mood. I think some, one of my favorites uh, is uh, Strange Fruit, Billie Holiday's Strange Fruit. no record that Josephine Baker ever sang it, but it, it's a, just a perfectly fitting number for that moment in the show. So. Pastoral scenes in the gallant south, the bulging eyes and the twisted mouth. Do you have a favorite number to do? <laughs> I'm not even sure just yet. Oh gosh, every night I've had a favorite, a different favorite number. So, the Irving Bur um, Autumn Leaves with the fans, that's kind of a freeing, I get to just go in my moment and feel it out. Um, and then the night before, that was one of the singing ones that was um, My Funny Valentine, was it? One night, depends on the pepito. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I haven't decided on a favorite one just yet. Well, I'm still trying to get them under my skin. <laughs> <laughs> your uh, your times they are changing was pretty uh, epic, epic last epic night. Last night. Yeah. Come gather round, people, wherever you roam, and admit that the waters around us have grown. Accept it that soon we'll be drenched to the bone. I hope that time to you is worth saving. So you'd better start swimming. tried to do with music is bring in as many African-American iconic artists as possible. So we've got Nat King Cole, Cab Calloway, Louis Armstrong, um, we have Bessie Smith and uh, um, uh, Ella Fitzgerald and Billie Holiday. Uh, well, they would have been hobnobbing with right. at the time, but you know, maybe she couldn't have sang that song at the time or something like that. So they have these strange connections just because of the fame that everyone had and the, um, the celebrity that they were. They all had hobnobs in the jazz club that she opened up, they performed at. Yeah, and yeah. how beautiful that we, the Autumn Leaves is Nat King Cole singing Autumn Leaves in French. So how lovely that we found that, that, that Nat King Cole did these versions of his mm -hmm. songs in French that we could pull and use uh, for this. Is, it, it's just perfect. That one, that one totally always just gives me this great feeling. I love that one so far. <laughs> so far. And talk about the costumes. <laughs> um, I think I've been collecting costumes for <laughs> years. One of them, what this, the mink that I wear is actually my great-grandmother's. Uh, some of the pearls, my grandmother's. The black gown, that's my grandmother's. And things that I just know are beautiful pieces and that would fit Josephine, they came to life. I brought many costumes to the house. Like when I was trying to pack, I, if I could have brought everything I had, you just didn't understand. <laughs> if we don't need it, don't bring it, I kept saying. Yes. Uh, I, love, I love a costume shop. I can see something. If there's one individual thing, I and vintage things, vintage one-of-a-kind items, I, I'm sold and I will buy it because I know I'm going to use it. If I really get the yes feeling from something, oh, it's, it's on. 
it's a costume, if I could see a dance in it, it's over. It's already, it's already bought in my bag in the closet, you know? Uh, so it was really a fun, it was, it was kind of crazy bringing a lot of costumes and dresses and seeing what I, I already had so that I didn't have to go and spend money. So a lot of them are mine. Actually, all of it, except for the, 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 I don't have a satin dinner jacket or a top hat. But Did you have the banana? I made the banana skirt. <laughs> I made her. <laughs> that poor little skirt. Yep. We got some help with the wigs. I mean, uh, the, the hardest part of the costumes is actually the costume changes. And that's been like, you know, our, our, our trying to figure out. We have a lot more costumes here that we'd love to be able to use as well. But uh, we still haven't figured out how to do the costume changes efficiently enough to be able to get some of them done. So <laughs> I feel like that's a shot at the crew. Oh, wait, I'm the crew. <laughs> and you, you can't leave the stage to change very easily. No. <laughs> Since I'm you're the like, only one um, there. Hold. I'll be right back. Hey, guys, and here's a pan puppet. I don't know. <laughs> we, we really do uh, enjoy the element of being able to have her change on stage a lot mm -hmm. as well. And I think it's a, a, a kind of a, a, a really intimate thing that the audience gets to be involved in. You feel like you're in her boudoir and she's she's changing and talking to to you and and and, and that's a, one of my favorite elements of of this that's come out of it. Well, that also seems to be very much fitting for the character because it seems like she she was she wasn't embarrassed by any of this, so to have to like invite an entire audience into her boudoir mm -hmm. <laughs> doesn't seem like it's that far off. <laughs> Hey, everybody, come on in. Tell you some stories. <laughs> Naked. She, she had her, her club, Shea Josephine, and would um, she could do run around any way she wanted. she wanted. Yeah. She was like, oh, sure, I'm going to have this on, or jump into some little negligee, or just a fur, or just some pearls. But that was her place. She was completely open with her body and her sexuality. And to bring that, we weren't sure how that was going to work with some crowds, you know? The question was about pasties. Most of the photos she has, if she's bare-chested, she doesn't have any pasties on. But for me, I needed that barrier. <laughs> I needed that little, in order for me to feel comfortable naked, I needed pasties. <laughs> so, <laughs> anything else, I'm like, wee! But that was, every, anything I didn't mind. I, I'm totally open with my own, my own body as well. You know, I'll show a little skin here and there. It was a natural thing for me, I don't mind. And this is a very intimate space here at the Spreckles Theater at Fringe. Oh, it's an amazing space to uh, play in. Come to find out, at the theater, the whole very top row of the whole thing is where the segregated section was. Third, third balcony, third balcony, colored they only. They have their own yeah. entrance, their own everything, and you can't wait to go up there and see what it's like. But it's amazing to see it because that's what I get to perform to. That's what I see. I'm trying to, I'm trying to project to you everybody that's on the you know, stage level, but it's a beautiful picture to see when some of the, the house lights are up and just imagining performing to a giant house. So when I'm singing the songs, I'm doing the concert version of it, you know, and then we come back after, we come back into our dressing room after that, and then, then I'm back on stage again, and it's great so I can project that and enjoy that and feel that, because it's beautiful. <laughs> what to you was the most important quality to get for her to convey to the audience? Is there like one key thing about her that you felt really was important? How much she wanted to be loved and how genuine she was and wanted to give love, it just kept missing. Uh, she wanted to find a lot of love and hope in America. That just didn't happen all the time. So she was trying and trying and then she was like, forget it. I'm gonna go find my own happiness. I'm gonna go figure it out, but I wanna still help people. I'm not just a superstar, I still have a heart. I'm still, uh, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a good person underneath all these things. Yeah, I was frivolous with it sometimes, but I'm a, I'm a genuine, caring person, and I want to, the world to know that we can get along. Our races, our genders, everything, we can get along and show brotherhood for all men, all humanity. Uh, for me, what about you? <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's a great one. She, her, her desire to love and be loved. Um, she, why she had four husbands and and so many uh, partners and twelve children that she adopted and um, why she came back to the states. Uh, 
time after time when she was rejected or called a communist or whatever other reason she was she was banished in the United States she still wanted to come back because she loved her country so much we start the show with J'ai deux amours which is um, my two loves my country and Paris and 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 I think that was a constant that was her theme song really throughout her career but it was a constant theme throughout her life is she she loved these two cities one loved her back and and one, uh, one did not. That was written for her, mm-hmm. right? I don't know by who. I don't know either. Yeah, but it's her determination more and want more, <laughs> more research. <laughs> more dramaturgy. Yeah, that's uh, her determination and what people, she wanted people to love her and let's, let's give it back to her now. <laughs> In America. Give her the justice, give her the, what's the word I'm looking for? Recognition. Recognition. Yeah, the revelant. <laughs> <laughs> so the show is fascinating in terms of, I mean, I knew a little bit about Josephine Baker and I had always admired her, but... The stuff that comes out in the play, I did not know her about her being part of the French resistance. <laughs> I had to fight. I had to for France. France took me in. France took care of me. France loved me. And suddenly France was occupied. France was oppressed. France was me back in Saint Louis. So I said, vive la resistance. When they wouldn't tuck those secret messages inside my unmentionables, they'd often arrived as notes notes between the notes. Sheet music with instructions written in invisible ink. <coughs> yes. Yes, yes, it was fun playing the spy, but sometimes my Josephine and my, my performances felt a little shell-shocked. And th- there's amazing stuff that comes out. So for you, when you guys were researching it, was there like one thing that you uncovered that really surprised you or that you just loved that you found? Uh, Frida Kahlo, I think, was one that was like this, this gem that just happened. And we were like, wow, this oh. needs to be a thing in the show. So, Madame, I've been meaning to tell you. My first name is Frida, too. No, swear to God. They'll spell differently, and yours is much more regal. Or mine's, mine's more like, hey, Frida, better go get them clothes off that damn clothesline, girl. Anyway, darling, Frida, I am all yours until I have to leave for the show tonight. Will you be there? Oh, très bien, très bien. Oh, I just love being back in Paris. She was never out with her bisexuality. She was very comfortable with male homosexuality, but not so much with her own publicly. So that was kind of an interesting twist to her, where she is this live-out-loud exhibitionist, um, and then she has this kind of secret that was... uh, Sort of a secret. (laughs) Almost a secret, yeah. Sort of a secret. Right. (laughs) Just not put on blast in front of everyone. Yeah. A lot of the things I I happen to know, I have done it. I've watched it for since I was 17 years old. I just kept coming across things and wanting to do more and more. But her flying the plane and all the things that she learned on the side um, while she was able, able to do in France, all those things that she was able to learn is fascinating on its own. Like, yeah, I'm going to go learn how to fly a plane. I'm going to be in the French Resistance. I'm going to go here and do this. I'm going to open a bar. I'm going to, you know, like, okay. You did it all. It was really hard. I'm more fascinated in some of her pictures that I wish we could show. <laughs> That's when, when we're able to add a video aspect of it. I'm going to have a blast bringing in the visual part of, like, this is, this is something we need. We need this photo. We need the procession of her death being one of the highest, the only women born in America to be decorated with France's highest honor, you know? I think they, they estimated 100,000 people took the streets of Paris after her death. Um, for a parade funeral procession and to celebrate her. I mean, that's when we get when we're able to show the pictures to folks, that's probably going to be my one of my favorite parts of it because what what we get to do here, but to have those actual 
um, histories, images. images, those historic images, on to give to people to let them see it and realize it. Oh, that's gonna feel great. <laughs> I was gonna ask. This is Fringe, so this is where a lot of shows test out or you experiment with stuff. So what is the future for the show? Are you looking to expand it and make it longer and bring in these other kind of elements? Uh, I don't know about longer. I mean, I think 60 minutes, particularly for touring and for fringe touring, is perfect. Uh, We have talked about, like, full bands. We have a band back in Orlando that um, uh, is great uh, and perfect for us. Um, We have talked about multimedia. But I think ultimately what's, what, what we're discovering here is that having a solo show and having um, the intimacy of that uh, is, is kind of a magical thing with, with this piece. Um, and so I, I think we're going to, we, right now, this is the only stop that we have booked uh, that was kind of, this, we decided to workshop it, you know, and just bring it here and do it. But um, next summer, we definitely are going to do uh, a lot more touring with it. Um, we've discussed uh, the Canadian circuit, fringe circuits, um, and also there's some uh, European festivals that we've, Paris, we've talked about. Paris, Paris, <laughs> Paris, Paris. Could you imagine? I, we, we've got some Rosetta Stone uh, to do before we go to Paris. International, uh, but baby. Rome, Rome might be a, a stop. Rome, uh, yeah. There's all kinds of things. You know, we don't want to do put too many elements into it. So we'll see. We'll see what happens when we work keep, keep going with the workshop. But we're in a nice place right now, come to find out. <laughs> <laughs> come to find out it's a sweet piece. And if we over, we don't want to overkill. Mm-hmm. So, and it won't be, you know, too much. It'll just be nice little spreckles of things. <laughs> we are at the Fringe Festival, but not everybody may be familiar with what a fringe festival is. So why is it important to have these kind of festivals? Because one of the things about it is this is a, an unjuried, uncensored festival. So you don't have somebody looking at your thing saying, ah, yours isn't good enough, or we want you to change this, or you can't have the striptease because it's not family friendly. So as artists, why are fringe festivals important? Yeah, the, uh, the fringe festivals encourage innovation. They, the, the, the idea of an unjuried, uncensored festival, unjuried meaning that uh, there's no selection committee that decides what art is valid. And so whatever your idea, it is, uh, you have an equal chance of getting in with everybody else. And then being uncensored means the festival doesn't control any of your content. And that is a beautiful thing because it lets artists express themselves 100% with their own personal creative energy and, 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 and infuse the show with whatever they want to see in it. It's a great place where the ticket prices are low, so you don't feel the pressure of, we can't try something new out with this. The audience has paid $10 for a performance, and so it gives us an opportunity to kind of experiment with some pieces, which can lead to Maybe you're seeing a show that that is not quite ready or not quite where it's going to be, but it can also lead to, as an audience member, seeing something that is explosively uh, original and and brand new and something that that magical that happens, that magic of the process of it. And, And it gives the audience some you know, a window into that, not even a window, a seat in the room. So it, it, fringe festivals, accessible for artists, easy for them to do, cheap for them to produce, and uh, amazing uh, experience for an audience member that's bold enough to go out and do it. Um... Ditto. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. <laughs> you get to meet people, and uh, yeah, you get to meet people, and it's free, and it's it's innovative, and wildly creative, and it, it expresses. And like you said, if somebody gets to sit there and something is inspired in them, all right, then you can go and create your own project. It can be 15 minutes. It can be whatever the time length is, or maybe it's visual art. Maybe this sparks something—a painting or whatever it's about that inspiration and that innovation that the fringe creates and a nice community to do it in affordable community to do it in and yeah and you get your proceeds back getting to know other artists getting to see their work getting to experience their creative process and talk to them and bounce ideas off of them and get give them feedback on their material and it's this amazing soup of uh, this crock pot of creation. Gumbo. It's yeah, yeah, gumbo. There you go. <laughs> Your first performance here, you got a standing ovation. 
you seemed a bit emotional about the whole thing. Was that the first time you had put it on? Were you surprised? Yes, yes. I was a wreck. (laughs) 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 Leading up to that, I was a wreck. This is my first time doing a one-woman show and having all the responsibility on, uh, you know, the show mostly on my shoulders. And I just didn't know that I had it. (laughs) I was like, um... Uh huh. Okay, We're, and it, it, that was an amazing moment to see that I did it, and that's what the French can do. You know, that's why we're here. That's why we did it here, to know that I am a strong enough artist to create that and make the show a beautiful thing, and that I know it. And it was beautiful to see. It was. It was. It was wonderful to see all the audience stand up like. Like I ugly cried in full makeup face. <laughs> I couldn't help it. <laughs> couldn't help it it was a lot of things that I had been building up to for years uh, wanting to do that and it, it was a perfect avenue perfect outlet and once I saw that the work paid off it was a rush that I couldn't control I'm glad I didn't throw up so <laughs> <laughs> you seem to really connect with the audience I love that part I uh, do a burlesque, a burlesque. I do burlesque in Orlando, and that's one of my tricks. If I'm on a stage, not a trick, but that's one of my what's the, gifts. My gifts. See, I don't even like to talk about my. <laughs> I don't even know. If I can't get on stage and, or able to get off stage and be a part of somebody's and break that wall, then it's uh, that's nerve wracking. But being able to touch people and break that little that barrier, I love it. I love it. That disarming thing that Josephine had, I have that. <laughs> and you talk about testing out the show here. Do you, have you actually gotten feedback from people? Have any of the audience members or other artists come to you and said, oh, I really think this part's great, or maybe you should change this? Have you gotten like concrete feedback? Yeah. Totally. Someone told us we, need to, we could embrace the changes. So the changes that are actually happening make them more of a thing. I think I was afraid of that. Costume Not, changes. Costume changes, rather. So costume changes. Embrace the costume changes. Make it part of the boudoir. Make it part of being Josephine and switching from costume to show to home to show to whatever it is. And then in the very end, someone suggested that we really close it out because they wanted to know about what happened at the end. What happened? So can you say something about the death? And so the obituary we added just last night, this little section, and it it was, it was, it it completed the whole thing. It made it come full circle, gave you everything about her life that we could possibly cram in this hour and opened the chapter and closed it, or opened the book and closed it too, you know? yeah, I, I think that was a really valuable piece of feedback. I, we were, I was a little afraid to go with the kind of announcements obituary about her death. The first American woman to receive full French military honors at her funeral. Thousands attended her procession as it locked up the streets of Paris one last time. She is survived by 12 children, her beloved Rainbow Tribe. And we had a much, we had a, a, a a really interesting uh, monologue in that in that place before, and so I was reluctant. But at the same time, it's it's cliche and it's a convention that's uh, used a lot because it works and people want it. The audience really wanted that closure, and so um, that was that was that was feedback that I got from multiple sources. So so yesterday wrote something and, <laughs> and did it. And it kind of immortalizes her in that moment. It makes you, oh, yes. And then when, you come, when we come back for an encore, it just puts her in that light that when she passed out, you knew she died when she was, she was happy when she died. Mm-hmm. And for me, that it, it makes that moment yeah. evident. It just seals it. Beautiful angel, rest in peace. Yeah, I mean, it's almost a cinematic ending in the sense of, if she had written it for <laughs> the end of a film, I don't think she could have done it better, except maybe added a few more years to her life or something. Right, right. <laughs> One more story for the road. <laughs> <laughs> what do you hope audiences will take away from this? Are you, are you really uh, inspired to kind of share her life with other people, or is there some message that you feel that you have? Yeah, I, I think... Um, 
I think the, the message to take away is um, to be yourself and uh, accept other people um, for who they are. Uh, she was so far ahead of her time in terms of her sexuality, in terms of her performances and breaking racial boundaries. But society always ends up catching up to uh, people like that eventually. I hope that people take away that there's no reason to catch up. Just be there. Just just accept. Accept and love people uh, for who they are. Yes. Uh, let's see. What else? You know, brotherhood and and talk to your fellow man felt be I don't think I cursed right now tonight. It's all right. You can curse. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not censoring you. <laughs> she it would be brotherhood. Brotherhood is a natural thing. Um, but we have to learn it and I and really love that. And we yeah. shouldn't have to learn it. We shouldn't it. have to learn that. We shouldn't have to learn it. It's a natural process, but so we've been through so many things and so many barriers have been put up and the quote about skin cone being a uh, uh, color being skin tone and religion seen as uniquely one way uniquely to express one's soul and um, your birthplace being just where you're from it doesn't have so much weight to it and all men need to be born free I hope people take a little bit of that away as well yeah. to start thinking about where we are in our country in our time now there's a lot of things that still ring true well yeah and, and the closing with um Times they are changing, uh, you know Dylan's famous protest song. That we did that. Uh, she, Demisha, actually performed that before we came here at a fundraiser. We're from Orlando, Florida, and obviously, um, you know, we just experienced the tragic events of the, the worst mass shooting in U.S. history, and. So the city was reeling, and um, Tamisha was invited to do a fundraiser for uh, the, the, the employees of the nightclub who uh, not only lost their lives, but well, a lot of them are completely out of work now. And so uh, decided to do that song, Times Are Changing. And I think the more I hear the song, the more relevant it, it remains in this country. That, that was 40 five years ago and yet we still haven't gotten over some of this stuff that 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 song i I hope sticks in people's heads Mm -hmm. most definitely most definitely as this election year pops up and all that uh, i actually changed one of the lines (laughs) because i don't want a wall (laughs) i don't want a wall (laughs) if they take away nothing else i hope they take away the Times are changing, and we all need to pay attention and talk to each other and understand. And don't judge before you even get to discuss the problem. You know, don't shut it down just because. Man, that's yeah, one of no. my one of my favorite lines. Um, so get out of our new world if you can't lend a hand. You know, the the the, the world has changed. The world has um, evolved past uh, hatred and intolerance and bigotry. bigotry and nonsense, um, and, and, and um, it's time to let go of that for people. And do you know if she ever actually sang that song? Yes, yes ma'am. Yes, she did. We tried to. We were, you know, at the moment we were trying to, come, you know, uh, find her voice, and it was great because we're listening to the recording, and she is on her own timing she wanted to sing whatever she wanted to sing at the moment and the poor band had no idea when she was going to do it what she was going to say they didn't they were like okay if i have a six a seven an eight one a two a three a four five six seven she was everywhere in the you song can, you can find some great um versions of uh, uh some uh, great uh, videos or or clips of josephine singing that song but yeah her uh the way she sings it is completely 100 percent unique and her own and um, and it was a little too hard to try and, try and make. <laughs> there was, I was all, I don't there's, know, bro. There's not much, there's <laughs> not know, much rhyme or reason, but it's also one of the most passionate performances that Josephine has ever given. She goes into and, the audience and holds people's hands um, while, you know, she's doing this, and she's actually in the audience with everyone singing it. 
So she's not just on stage, you know, a little figure, but she was an accessible person that was singing to someone and the next person sitting next to him and the one in the back in the corner. Yeah, but she would have went all over the room if she could have. Uh, and she meant it. She wants us to open our eyes and our hearts and our ears and come together. Come together right now. I'm just, that's the wrong song. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you hope that your play will contribute to her legacy? I mean, what do you hope that her legacy is? Or what do you think that her legacy is at this point? I mean, I hope that, uh, that our, our, our play just helps to open people's eyes to her legacy. Um, her legacy is the, the American dream of coming from nothing and, and you know poverty and, and 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 immense racism at the time and and just the, the odds completely stacked against her to become a worldwide superstar and to to live all of her dreams and adopt her rainbow tribe or everything that she dreamed she made into reality um so i would say you know the the her legacy is um if you want it reach for it if you if you you can achieve great things no matter the odds nobody's odds could have been stacked you know i mean they're, they're, they're her. and uh, the unfortunate thing was she had to go leave america to do it so i mean i think it's a, an important message to america that um you know we like to talk a lot about we like yeah. to talk a lot about the american dream but um, a lot of times it, there, there's a lot of examples of other countries doing it better. Yeah, we stand in our own way sometimes and other countries do it better. Oh gosh, what else do I want to say? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well I want to thank you both very much and I wish you the best of luck with the show. Thank you so much for having us, Beth. I'm so appreciative. I thank you so much. I'm glad you're my Frida. It was awesome. I'm Hello, sorry I stepped on your toes. I, that's why I smacked you on the butt. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> bad, Frida, bad. No, it was wonderful. Thank you so very much. Uh, from the bottom of my heart, our little production thanks you. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening to another edition of the KPBS Cinema Junkie podcast. You can subscribe to the KPBS Cinema Junkie podcast on iTunes or check out the archives at kpbs.org slash junkiepodcast. So till our next film fix, I'm Beth Accomando, your resident cinema junkie. And admit that the water around you have grown Except it soon You'll be drenched To the bone If your time to you Is worth saving Then you'd better start So women I use sink Like a stone Changing, changing.